The most downloaded episode in the history of the Leading Saints podcast is my interview with Rob Farrell, the young single adult stake president that I recorded probably 18 months ago, maybe two years ago. It's phenomenal. And I constantly get emails from people saying, hey, have you done a part two to that interview? Well, I'm happy to say we've done so much more than a part two. We actually invited Rob to present in front of a live audience and we recorded it all. He gives us five additional hours, roughly, of content of his leadership approach and uh, perspective. It is so helpful. I've had countless emails of people saying how much this has deeply impacted their approach to leadership. If you have not seen it, you've got to see it. And you can see it in the Core Leader Library, which we make available to all core leaders. Now, to become a core leader, you just go to leadingsaints.org slash donate. And there you can uh, submit a monthly, quarterly, or yearly subscribing donation, and that gets you access to not only Rob Farrell's presentation in the Core Leader Library, but the entire Core Leader Library. So you got to check it out. Go to leadingsaints.org donate and help us grow this organization and move it forward by becoming a Core Leader. It's a How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham. I will be your host and your interviewer, and I'm glad you've joined us again. Now, if this is your first time joining us, we welcome you. Leading Saints, if you don't know, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And this podcast is one way, probably the most popular way that we do that. So we encourage you to subscribe, leave a review, a a five-star review on whatever podcaster you are listening on, and that would be awesome. We also have a website at leadingsaints.org with oodles, oodles of content related to leadership as a Latter-day Saint that I think you would find uh, helpful as well. Now, how I lead segments are not your typical interview on the Leading Saints podcast, but what we do is we decide on one calling, maybe a bishop, Relief Society president, public affairs, whatever it is, one calling, and we find two people who have served in that calling or are currently serving in that calling, and then we ask them, how do you do it? How do you lead in that calling? And what comes out of that is some phenomenal leadership principles and guidance. And the calling we're focusing on in this episode is the High Council. I don't think I've ever done a How I Lead segment for the High Council. So we definitely need to do more of these. So if you know a good High Council, reach out to me, leadingsaints.org slash contact. And I'd love to interview a High Counselor, High Councilman. I never know what the right way to say that is. But nonetheless, you all know where I'm going. We talked to two people, Dave Lefevre in the Seattle area, who is a phenomenal, has some great perspective on leading. He actually has experience teaching at BYU Education Week. So he's a great presenter, teacher, and uh, really brings his A-game to the conversation. And then in my recent travels to Boise, Idaho, I met with Jeff Ehlers, who is uh, on the High Council up there, and a really phenomenal perspective as well. I think you're going to enjoy this. Be sure to send this link on to your favorite High Counselor, High Councilman, and uh, make sure they hear it as well, and uh, they will thank you for it. So here's my interview with Dave Lefevre and Jeff Ehlers. Today, we're talking with Dave Lefevre. How are you, Dave? Doing great, Kurt. How are you? Very good. And tell us a little bit about yourself. You're up in the Seattle area, but uh, put yourself into context. Yeah, we live just uh, northeast of Seattle in a little place called Maltby. My wife and I have a nice little farm out here, and it's a lot of fun. Wow. What do you farm? Well, mostly gardening at this point. We've had oh, okay. <laughs> animals over the years and all kinds of fun things. But. Nice. That's a little more of a rural setting then? Yeah. Cool. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the way to go. And uh, so born and raised up there? No, originally from uh, San Diego. 
my wife and I both were raised down there and uh, then worked our way north way up, up the coast. Spent a little nice. time in Utah working for WordPerfect and going to BYU, but otherwise we've lived out here on the West Coast for the whole time. Nice. So the tech industry took you up there then? Yes, Microsoft. And now nice. I work for Concur. Nice. Very good. And uh, we've been chatting a little bit through uh, through email, and you mentioned that you uh, have you're, you're currently a high counselor. Is that right? That's right. Nice. And you mentioned just uh, maybe a little lacking in resources that, uh, as far as leading saints is concerned. <laughs> and uh, and I thought, you know what, you're right. We need to get more high counselors on here. And hey, look, you're a high counselor. So here we are chatting. Here we are. <laughs> nice. So how how uh, how long have you been serving as a high counselor? Currently, it's been about three years this time. This is my fourth stint on the High Council. Oh, good. So I'd nice. have to figure out, do the math, but probably about 10 to 12 years altogether. Oh, cool. Great. And maybe just to put your stake into context, uh, what's the church like in your area and uh, and how could we better understand what you're, you're dealing with as in that leadership calling? Yeah, a little different than Utah. Our <laughs> stake goes, is quite large. It covers most of the Snohomish County which is a very large, going all the way from the mountain passes on the east, almost to the ocean on the other side. So quite a bit, quite a bit of driving. I work with a particular ward that's the Sultan Ward, which is the most furthest east and way out there ward. So nice. I, I have so a nice long drive every rep? Sunday. Yeah. Okay, good. And so how long does it take to get your home to their ward building? About 45 minutes. Okay. So not too bad, but uh, definitely not Utah standards. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when, when we lived in Utah, you know, walking three blocks to go across the entire state. And I thought, yeah, this is just very different than California <laughs> or Washington or any place else. Yeah, for sure. So you said you'd have a few stints on the high council before. So did you sort of feel like this will be, uh, I'll just step right in and run with it? Or were there early challenges that uh, made it feel different? Well, there certainly were a lot of challenges the first time I was called. I recall being, I was in the Young Men program, and the stake president brought me in and asked if I would serve in the high council. And I was in my early 30s and was pretty surprised because I hadn't had anything in the stake at all. I've since discovered that sometimes high counselors are called for different reasons, but sometimes you're called because they need your experience, and sometimes they call because they want you to get experience. Uh-huh. I was definitely in that first category, in that second category, rather, when I was first called. So, yeah. You were the workhorse that could get to work right, and learn. This time it was kind of fun because we had just moved to this stake. We were down in the Redmond area, which is just south of here. And my last calling in that stake was serving on the high council, supporting the young women. And mm-hmm. then we moved into this stake and they said, hey, we'd like you to work in the high council, supporting the young women. And I said, it's like nothing changed. I just have different people I work with. So it's, that was pretty fun being able to nice. do it twice in a row, as it were. Yeah. So I know it seems like every stake president uh, or stake presidency, they, you know, use and leverage the high council differently. How would you describe the way that your stake presidency utilizes the, the stake council or the high council? Well, uh, two members of our stake presidency were high counselors before they were called. Hmm. And so they're very aware of the kinds of things high counselors can do and the, the uh, different kinds of impacts they can have in the stake. And I think they use this very well. In our high council meetings, we counsel a lot about callings and people and different situations going on in the stake. And we take the time to do that. And we have very detailed discussions. And I think those are very valuable for the mm-hmm. stake presidency. And then they also use this, you know, as we go out and speak in the wards, as we attend ward conferences, as we serve in our callings, everybody has different assignments, of course. They are very specific about the kinds of things they want us to do to represent them, which is great. Like just last Sunday, 
we were having that conversation. You know, kind of high counselors get up before they speak and often say, you know, I bring you the love of the stake presidency or something. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds so repetitious. Tradition, I've right? heard it for so many years. Like, And so president, our stake president, President Schwartz said, I want you to share something this time. I want you to share that my wife and I have been praying for the members of the stake specifically in every prayer that we have as a couple. And every time we do that, he goes, just just share that with our stake members when you go out this time. So that's what we said you know, when we gave yeah. our talks. And I think it's meaningful, right, to have that kind of relationship. Yeah. Anytime there's like, you know, sometimes these phrases turn into cultural cliches, right, right. that we just sort of utter just because we feel like, oh, I'm, I think I'm supposed to do that. I don't know if there's anywhere in the handbook that says like, hey, it incur- even encourages that, but somewhere that got started, right? And so whenever there's a cliche, it's sort of, it's great to, you know, you're going to either dismiss it or get rid of it or be intentional about it, right? And that's right. exactly what your stake presence does. And I've heard other high counselors portray like very specific things they've had, the experiences they've had when they've seen the stake presidency, you know, exhibit that love or do something for other people. They'll show that experience. They'll share that experience just so that everyone has a sense of, you know, what that means when stake presidency cares for the members of the stake. It's very real. It's not just a trite phrase. Yeah, that's great. So how often do you meet as a stake uh, high council? Twice a month, most months. Okay. Is there a specific format to that? Does it change each, the, the agenda change quite a bit? Or do you know what to expect when you walk into the, those meetings? Well, there's a, like sacrament meeting, there's a typical format mm-hmm. that we go through with, you know, business and calendar and some of those kind of things. But but the agenda course is fluid based on what's happening in the stake and what the needs are, what the callings are that they want to consider, activities that are coming up, all of those things. Nice. And then do you, uh, as far as the agenda items, is it uh, is there anything they do specifically to stimulate more of a council, like of a discussion, or do you feel, or do they handle it more like uh, you know they're instructing from the stake presidency? Definitely or? a discussion. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the beauties of this stake presidency that I've really appreciated, and frankly, previous stake presidencies I've had the same experience. But we open things up for discussion. And in some cases, they'll say, okay, we have a need here, you know, this particular calling, let's talk about it. And we might spend 20, 30 minutes talking about, you know, what the need is, different candidates, all the different aspects of that conversation. And they, we let it go until we feel like, you know, we're done. Yeah. So yeah. That, that discussion is very valuable. Yeah. Is there any other, I always like to get in like the nitty gritty, like technical things. Like are there any like tools or apps or, I mean, do you email, do, does this high council email a lot or anything they use that would be unique or that you find helpful? I don't know if it's anything unique, but we use Google Docs for tracking like speaking assignments. And we can put that in there and see what our upcoming speaking assignments are and contact the Bishop Bricks. We record companion speakers, which is kind of nice so that you know who you're, who we're tapping into. On a regular basis, because sometimes mm. that list of companion speakers can be kind of limited. The return missionaries come home and they're only there for a little bit and they're gone. So we're calling on stake leaders a lot. We use a lot of email, but I don't think we have any other particular technology that we use. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Keep it simple, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> how about speaking assignments? Uh, do they, how, how do they handle that? those? How often? And then uh, as far as the topics and encouragement you get from the stake presidency? Yeah. So, you know, every stake is different as the new handbook that just came out. Yeah. I was right. re- reading that. It says it's not required that high counselors ever speak. I mean, it doesn't say that exactly, but that's essentially what it said. Yeah. And so it's up to the stake presidency. We speak about eight times a year. So the months of general conference and state conference, we don't have speaking assignments, but the others we usually do. We have nine units in our stake. So you see almost every unit once a year works out pretty yeah. well. And we just rotate through in that spreadsheet work your way through the words alphabetically, as it were. Oh, nice. Cool. 
And so, uh, obviously, with a larger stake, you're you're traveling around. What's the furthest you have to, the furthest distance you have to drive yeah. for that? Sultan is the furthest for me. I live at the very oh, okay. southern edge of our stake, about a mile from the my old Redmond stake. Oh, okay, not very far. So, so just that forty five minutes is the longest. That long you have to drive. Go. Yeah. The other we have three buildings, and one's fifteen minutes, one's half an hour, and one's forty five minutes. Yeah. Great. Well, l- let's transition here into some of the the leadership principles that you noted down here. Uh, those that are listening probably know that as we do these How I Lead interviews, I typically ask you to prepare two to three leadership principles that we can maybe uh, dig into. And and these are principles that you have maybe learned, acquired, or, or applied in your service that you found helpful. And maybe they'll, they'll uh, or others listening will, will find them helpful as well. So, and maybe we'll transition into that, that one you mentioned as far as, as far as speaking assignments. You said that uh, speaking assignments are opportunities to engage with the ward leadership before sacrament meeting and after dur- and during other meetings. So maybe expand on that. Yeah, I just spoke last Sunday and had the opportunity to do this in a, an award. It's really fun because we are representing the state presidency. So when I feel like as a high counselor, I go into that ward, one of my important assignments is to just check in with the bishopric and I'll make sure I remember their names. <laughs> I try to look them up right, right before I go and and I'll look at the different ward leaders because I don't, you know, the ward that I work with, I know everybody pretty well, but these mm-hmm. wards that I only pop into once a year or so, I don't get to know them as much. So I'll look at the leadership list and try to become familiar with who I'm looking for. But I'll try to say hi. I come to a state or sacrament meeting early, rather, and I'll walk through the congregation and I sit in the back mm-hmm. and wait for people and then greet them as they come in. And then I'll walk through and say hello to people and, and then just want to make sure that they feel like that I'm representing the stake presidency with that love, right? With that concern yeah. and care about them and that, that the stake presidency gets around to their sacrament meeting as well. But we have that opportunity to reinforce that and just yeah. say, hey, the stake is really behind you and we support yeah, that, your bishop and we, you know, I get up and say those things in their talks. Yeah. Two things come to mind as you say that is, is one, like just that tactic of being there early and maybe greeting people. Like it seems simple, but it's quite effective. I've, I've learned as I've had opportunity to obviously speak in, in, in different words, but also, you know, as I present firesides yeah. in different uh, stakes where when you take time just before and you just greet the handful of people, obviously, you know, there's going to be some that come late and you'll miss them, but just greeting them before they sort of have this, this initial connection with you as a human being. And so it's almost like they're, they're sort of rooting for you up there when it is your right, turn, right? right? And they're more engaged because they're like, oh, there's that guy I met, right? And I think mentally it just draws them in a little bit. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Just making that kind of connection. Then when I get up and I go to talk, I've got friends that I'm yeah, looking exactly. at, right? Not just a bunch of strangers. You know, I do, uh, and we talked about this in email, but I do firesides occasionally. I taught some other things. I've taught education week and things. And one of the things I love to do in those settings is to go in because the topic's known. So <laughs> people know why yeah. I'm there. And so you come in and you just say, what do you want to get out of this meeting? Like, what are yeah. you here for? What's your goal? What do you want me to hear? I'll introduce myself so they know I'm not just some random guy. <laughs> but then I ask them those kind of questions and it's really nice. So I don't do that with sacred meeting, but I do love to just greet people and say, how's it going? What's happening in your life? Yeah. You know, just can't get into a deep dive in five minutes, but at yeah. least have a chance to make that connection so that when you get up, like you say, they can relate to you. Yeah. And I think, it, like we said, it's not that you're going to, you're suddenly building this lifelong friendship from just meeting these people or they may forget about you by the next time you come around in the, in the schedule. But again, it just, uh, I think it sets you up to succeed when you're about to speak, yeah. you know? So yeah, if you're lucky, great. they'll say, oh yeah, I think I remember we had a council speaker last month, right? <laughs> right. That's like success. <laughs> Remembering the name or anything is way beyond that. But. 
Exactly. And then the other thing you mentioned, just like connecting with the the leadership, right, yeah. as you go there. And this is one thing that I learned, I've, I've spoken about it a few times before, but when I made that transition from being a bishop into the stake presidency, it was easy to sort of think, well, now I'm sort of everybody's bishop. I'm everybody's leader, you know, because I'm in the stake presidency. But it was remarkable when I made that shift to, well, actually, I am the leader's leader, right? Yeah. And I'm going to really connect with the leaders because I can't, I can't connect with 5,000 people in the stake. Like there's just too many and it'll, I'll run myself ragged, but I can connect with the three people in the bishopric right. or the Relief Society presidency or whatever it is. And and just working on those relationships makes it a much doable task and easier to transfer that love that does come from the stake presidency. Yeah. And that starts with that very first contact, email, phone call, whatever it might be to that bishopric mm. saying, I'm scheduled to speak in your ward. You know, what would you like me to talk about? What kind of issues are you having that I could help with? Anything along those lines. And so we have those conversations all along the way. So that that day when I walk into the chapel and it's time for a sacrament meeting, I've already caught a little bit of a relationship with them. Yeah. I've already been working on that. And so then when I come in and say, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the talk I prepared. Is there anything else you want me to know about? You know, what's happening in your ward right now that would be important for me to think about? And, that's really great to have that kind of conversation for during those two, three, four weeks, whatever it is, leading up to my my talk. Yeah, that's a great practice, and it, it is hard to do sometimes when you get you know you get busy, you get caught up in your different assignments, and all of a sudden it's it's Saturday night, and you got that <laughs> ward you're going to the next day, and you haven't even thought twice about who's there, and so just building into your routine yep. a way of reaching out, connecting, maybe a week or two before, and and then going from there, right? Yeah. So you mentioned topics. So do you, where does the when you speak? Where does the topic come from? Do, do you reach out to the bishopric to get a direction there, or does it come from the stake presidency? So in our stake, we don't really have assigned topics per se. Um, mm-hmm. We do look to the bishops, uh, bishoprics, to give us topics that they think would be relevant for their ward. Sometimes they'll say, "Oh yeah, this is kind of our theme right now, and we'd love to have you talk on that theme." And other times they say, "Well, whatever you want." And so then my default is to go to something from "Come Follow Me Now." Oh yeah, and I'll pull something out of the last you know two three weeks of study and bring that into my talk. But yeah, no, I love that, and and I think there's a broader principle here that there's power in finding things you can say to, you can say no to once that doesn't tempt you to say yes in the future. And what I, what I mean by that is you think of maybe there is a stake presidency who they're very intentional about giving each of their high counselors a topic or they set a theme like, okay, and everybody's speaking in May, you're going to talk about these things, right? Yeah. And I've been that's in a stake like, where we did that, you know, but oh, this, yeah. this one doesn't and, do that. Yeah. And again, not that that's like wrong, nope. but the fact that, I mean, you can just remove that, right? That Because that's just one more thing to manage for a clerk to manage or the, the executive secretary to manage. When in reality, the stake prince, you could have trust in all those high counselors there or trust in right. the bishops to give them a, a topic and just say, you know what? But there's no assigned topics here. Figure it out, right? And then that's like one less thing the state presidency has to <laughs> yes. manage, and they can focus on what's most important to them rather than this administrative work. Yeah, right? let them minister and not administer is always the yeah. good rule, right? Yeah. I, again, not that it's bad to do it either way, but but it's something to think about. You know, these little things we can say no to once, and then you don't have to say no to them ever again or yes to anything. I think that really simplifies the work and allows you to focus on things. Yeah. So, and I do like how we're able to, you know, get specific for that ward. Because every word I've gone to, I've had bishops be quite specific. I need you to speak on this. Yeah. Right? This is the topic I'm dealing with right now. And I went, great. I can put together something on that. And so Yeah. Yeah. There's there's so much power in just asking that 
question to a bishop of, hey, bishop, like what's weighing on your mind? Like what topics, what's keeping you up at night, right? right? And then, and not that you have to like attack that topic head on, but it'll definitely assist you in your preparation yeah. of thinking, uh, there's maybe a different angle I could come at with this topic, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. And I don't know if this is part of the same principle you said, uh, one of the most important responsibilities we have is to thank people, showing gratitude for others' service is often the best way to represent the stake presidency. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think it was Elder Holland, and I apologize that I don't have it exactly, but he came to our stake in, uh, to reorganize the stake presidency. Mm-hmm. And I was the stake clerk at the time. And Elder Holland made a point of saying to the new stake presidency, one of the most important aspects of your job is to thank people. Hmm. Just be thankful for their service, be thankful for their commitment, be thankful for anything that they're doing to, you know, help the church along, to minister to other people, all of those things. He says, so, you know, you're just be thankers, just go around and do that. And as the state clerk, I thought, well, I can do that. Right. But as a high counselor, I really have an opportunity to be yeah. a, a thinker because I'm working with people in the stake all the time, extending callings, you know, setting people apart, whatever. Especially I work with young women. We get to do a lot of interfacing, staffing, you know, young women camp and all these different things. Yeah. So I have a lot of opportunities to just tell people, you know, thanks for your service. And I really appreciate what you're doing. And, and like anything, I try to be more specific than general, not just say, you know, thanks for being a good person. But I saw you do this and that really impressed me. And thank you for, you know, being the kind of person that does that. That's yeah. always better. Yeah, no, I love that. There, there's so much here that to really think about because, I mean, everybody on the surface, we hear that and think, well, of course, yeah, I need to be appreciative. I need to thank people. But really, it's in the details of how you you do this because I see a lot of leaders that will, you know, they'll get up in front of a, a you know, you think of the, the day after the ward activity, right? The bishopric member stands up in sacrament and says, we'd like to thank everybody who helped in this activity, right? And it's sort of, again, another cultural cliche phrase, right? Like, yeah. all right, we we thanked everybody. Moving on, right? But when you take moments in two ways, one, like you said, being very specific, like maybe approaching an individual and saying, I noticed you did this. And I think you need to know how much we appreciate that because it really made a difference, right? Yeah. Like that's going to go along a lot further than a general message of gratitude. I was a counselor and, to a bishop once yeah, who wrote out, he had a stack of postcards in his desk, pre-stamped, you know, all ready to go. And every Sunday after sacrament meeting or whatever meetings he would get through, he would sit and write letters to people, postcards, thanking them for their service or whatever it was. Always very specific and always very detailed. He was a great example of that to me. Now, I don't send postcards, but I do try to follow that example of looking for things that I can tell people and call out. And, you know, like sacrament meeting talks are a great example. When I hear a good sacrament meeting talk, instead of saying, that was a good talk, I'll say, why? How did that impact me? You know, this story that you told was really significant to me, and it made me think about how I might do something differently as a result of that story. People appreciate that kind of feedback as opposed to, you know, add a boy, way to get through another sacrament meeting, you know, let's, so be specific is good. Yeah. And then another thing I'll add to that, that I think there's power in the delayed action of of gratitude. And, And what I mean by that, let me give you an example, like yesterday, uh, it was Sunday, and there was a youth, an 18-year-old young man. He has his mission call. He He's saying this musical number, and it was like remarkable. Like there wasn't a dry eye in the place. It was just awesome. So, of course, I went up after, and I'm, I'm the preschool advisor. So, obviously, you know, I'm connected with this young man in, in more ways than one. But And I just said, wow, man, that was that was incredible. You know, how, how long have you been singing? All these, so, I, so, I thanked him there. But 
I think where a lot of power comes is then being intentional, maybe a day or two later, or like you said, yeah. you know, write out a card or something. When it comes later and you show that they, you still remember it, like that really, I think it adds to the sincerity of those words. And, and even, uh, you know, in this word, my wife and I spoke about, I don't know, two months ago. And it wasn't maybe three or four weeks after we spoke, the former stake president is in our ward. And he came up to me and, and he and he just thanked me for, for the, my words. And he mentioned a few things that he'd been thinking about from it. And I just thought, man, I feel so appreciated. And that was great, really connecting with that individual. So not only like being detailed, does it increase the sincerity, but even coming back and delaying that that former gratitude, because it's easy, like after a sacrament meeting, everybody's sort of patting right. them on the back or, right. hey, you did great or whatever. That's that's easy, right? But taking the next step of delaying it a little bit, I think it goes a lot further. So. I love that. That's a great insight. So much to talk about here, Dave. All right, let's go to the top of your list. I've been jumping around your list a little bit. So high counselors are more coaches than players, especially working with an assigned ward or organization. That tells how you are a coach more than a player. Well, the first time I was called the high council, I mentioned it was I was fairly young. I had been a counselor in the bishopric and a Boy Scout leader. And mm. then they put me in the high council and said, now go be an advisor to this bishop. <laughs> and I said, I don't know how to be a bishop. How am I supposed to be his advisor? And they said, just go. Go do it. Yeah. <laughs> don't ask questions. Just go. <laughs> right? Just go do it. And so I remember feeling very uncomfortable sitting in the bishop's office going, how can I help you, bishop? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I don't know either. And so we kind of struggled with that. We ended up working out a relationship. But I think that was when I started having this insight that really I'm the bishop's coach. And that doesn't mean that I, you know, was ever a world-class bishop because you can coach without ever having played once you understand the principles. I coached my kids playing soccer for years and I never played soccer ever. Yeah. But I learned how soccer works and I understand the rules and I get the principles and I could tell them to quit clumping up and spread out and all those things. So yeah, yeah. It's the same with, you know, working with a bishop or working with a counselor or working with an elders quorum president now. And, and I've never been an elders quorum president, but I can work with that elders quorum president because I understand the principles and I can listen to his issues and then I can offer guidance, insight, coaching, you know, whatever it might be. And of course, you hope the spirit's leading you. You always seek for that. But the bishop, the word that I'm assigned to got a new bishop a couple of years ago. So I'd worked with the previous bishop when I first got called, and then they transitioned, and and I sat down with that new bishop. And one of the things he's told me is that it's been so helpful for him to just have someone that he can just talk to, hmm. right? Not in the ward, so he doesn't have to worry about yeah, yeah. right, all those dynamics, but just somebody who comes in. And so I'll often just come a little early, and we'll just sit in his office, and we'll chat about things and talk about whatever, callings and what's happening and all he you know things that he's got on his mind. And it's not like he can't talk to his counselors or other people, but having this neutral person he can just bounce ideas off of and, and discuss his concerns and issues with, and I can give him a different perspective, that's really valuable to him. So that, that coaching element has been really a fun part of the job for me over the years as I've worked with multiple now bishops, yeah. and elders, quorum presidents, and formerly high priest group leaders. But it's just an opportunity to you know get in there and help people and just be a good listener, mostly. Yeah. No, I love that. There, there's so much there as far as, because in our, I mean, obviously in a, in a lay ministry, there's so many times where you feel unprepared and then yeah. you put get put in that role of advising, right? And I can see so many fall into that trap. You just show up on day one of your calling and you're like, Bishop, like I, 
I haven't even been in a bishopric. I'm I supposed to advise you, right? And so you sort of shrink in your yeah. in your calling when in reality you say, you know, that's okay. I can figure this out. Make Timmy take me some time to learn some principles, learn the handbook, and learn these other things. But I'm going to advise you, advise you, bishop, and I'm going to have some confidence in doing that. And see if I can help. Yeah, that would go a long way. Being know? an expert in the handbook, by the way, is a great way to be an advisor. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I learned that as state clerk. Um, the state president actually gave me the assignment. He says, "You're our handbook guy." So I want you to basically memorize the handbook. And then every time we're discussing something, you can say, now, wait a minute, here's what the handbook says. Right? Yeah. That's your role. So I've carried that over. And on the high council, I can have the same way. As a coach, one of the best things I can do is say, let's look at the handbook together, bishop or elders quorum president, and let's see what that says we should do here. And then that, that alone is often a source of great insight and inspiration for that leader. Again, not for me. They have the keys. But I can be the one that kind of points them towards something. Yeah, be the handbook guy. I, that's a, such great advice. I mean, if there's anything, if you're confused where to start, you know, as a high council advisor, like be the handbook guy, you right. know, especially now at the time we're recording this in, in February of 2020, we just had a new handbook come out, you know, like what a great opportunity to be the handbook guy uh, than now. Yeah. Know? So that's awesome. And then the other thing you mentioned that I really appreciate, and, and I wish when I was bishop that the the high councils I worked with that was more intentional of this, where you just kind of create space to be present with the bishop, right? Yes. And give him a chance to vent or to talk things through or whatever. And and I can see like a high counselor, you know, coming by the bishop's office at the end of the, you know, church and just saying, Bishop, I just need five minutes. And then you shut the door, you sit down and you just you just be present for a minute and be like, all right, like what's the rest of your day look like? You know, what are you feeling right now? Talk me through some of these things. How can I help? Right. And just give it, forcing the bishop to, yeah. to slow down and pause. What a great resource that would be. For, and eventually, for then the bishop's leaders. the one that comes out to you and says, Do you have five minutes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could you come into my office? And you go, yeah. You bet, bishop. You know, and because yeah. after you build that relationship, then he begins to find value in it. Yeah, that's powerful. Awesome. Um, all right. The last principle you have here is building a, building a relationship of trust with others is especially important to be effective which is mostly done by respecting their stewardship and keys. And maybe we've touched on this, but uh, obviously this is the, I think the high council role is, there's a part of it where you're just, you're juggling different stewardship and keys and trying not to step on other people's toes, but still bringing, bringing, you know, what you, your stewardship to the table as well. So expound on that. Yeah. High counselors hold no keys and that's really important to remember. But even more than that, there are very somehow counselor assignments, especially now with the changes that we've met, that we've had. The stake young men president is a high counselor. The stake Sunday school president is a high counselor. So mm-hmm. they have very specific responsibilities. But I recall someone saying to me once, so what's your assignment of the high council? And I said, oh, I work with young women. And they said something like, oh, so you get to tell the young women what to do. <laughs> and I said, yeah. no, never. Like, I'm the advisor the high counselor advisor to the young women. I don't tell them anything. I support them. And to me, that's really a significant difference. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I don't tell the stake presidency what to do. They tell me what to do. And then I go take their counsel out to the stake. So that opportunity to you know, build trust by respecting their keys, their calling, their ordination, their setting apart, right? That's all priesthood. We've had a lot of conversation about priesthood leadership and how the authority of the priesthood rests with someone who's been set apart for a calling. Mm-hmm. I have to respect that whether I'm working with the stake primary presidency or the stake young women presidency, whoever it might be, or a Sunday school teacher in a ward. I visited a ward last Sunday after I spoke and I stuck around for Sunday school because I wanted to see that. And the Sunday school teacher did a 
fantastic job. She was probably the best gospel doctrine teacher I've seen with Come Follow Me. Wow. And so I, I was so excited to talk to her after the lesson and express that to her. But it's all about, you know, I respect her calling and her setting apart and her priesthood authority to function in that role. And she is maximizing that, right? She's taking full advantage of that priesthood authority that she has to teach gospel doctrine and her work. She's doing a great job. So no matter where I go, I try to respect that and appreciate that I'm just the guy that shows up, represents the state presidency, but I almost make no decisions. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I just help support, guide, coach, all of that. And I think that helps people respect high counselors in general because they're not they're not feeling like, oh, here comes the high counsel telling me what to do. No. Yeah. I'm just here to help you be successful in your own stewardship. So tell me how I can help. Yeah. I think for some people, this is more difficult than than for others, especially maybe you've come from a calling, maybe you're just released as a bishop or a young men's president or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, if, when we had young men's presidents, but we're basically, you're in the, the thick of things, you're in the details, right? And you're used to sort of making decisions and calls and, and pushing your opinion one way or the other, where this, you sort of have to take a step back and say, I'm a resource. I'm more than happy to contribute, get share my perspective, but it, this is your decision to make, and I'm not here to, you know, veto anything per se, obviously, unless I'm told to do so. But, you know, and, and just sort of take one step back from being so close to some of these these stewardships and oftentimes keys. Yeah. And let people act in the calling to which they've been called and set apart. Yeah, that's great. Well, this has been fantastic. Any Anything we're missing, David, before we wrap up that uh, we haven't touched on or do we do we cover it? One of my assignments here in our stake is to the, train the new high counselors. In the three years I've been the high counselor, I've worked my way around the table, as it were. And so being one of the two senior, there's one other guy that's been a week longer than me. <laughs> yeah. And so the two of us train the other high counselors. And one of the things I've tried to emphasize with them is, is they're giving their talks, for example. This is one example. Try to, high counselors have to be flexible. In giving talks, we're usually the last person on the program, though a couple of times I've not been. I've spoken with missionaries and I've said, you be the last person because they're here to hear you, not me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. But usually you're the last person. So you want to finish on time. You don't want to go over because you got a whole bunch of primary kids that are anxious to get out of there and all the kinds of things. <laughs> so really watch that clock. And I and many times I've got up and there's been two minutes left before it's time for the closing song and prayer. And I've seen high counselors who will just go, well, I prepared this talk and I'm just going to give it regardless, right? And away they yeah. go. <laughs> and I'll just go, you know, no, be flexible and give that two-minute talk if that's all you got. Right. And be sensitive yeah. to that because no word wants to be held captive by a high counselor. <laughs> that's, Isn't that right? That Those is are the worst never, hostage takers. They right, are, they right. Just <laughs> don't do it. Just don't do it. But, you know, just watch for opportunities to serve and love throughout the state. People. The stake has an interesting reputation, right? Because the ward is where many times the rubber meets the road. And it's the bishopric and the ward callings where all the really meaty stuff is happening. And we can come in and really easily just say, let me be your servant and let me help you out. My assigned ward, for example, I've been assigned to the same ward now since I've been on the high council for three years. I don't just show up on Sunday for sacrament meeting. I really try hard to do other things. We've gone to ward activities. This week, my wife and I are going out to watch a play that some of the youth are in for that ward, high school play. Do everything we can to be feel like we're a part of the ward. And when they're 
sacrament meeting happened to be the same time as my own ward sacrament meeting, my ward didn't see me most of that year because I felt like I needed to be part of my assigned ward. And building that relationship with the entire ward is super valuable because they know I'm a part of the ward. They all know me. They trust me. I talk with them all the time on Sunday. I'm visiting with every member of that ward. I, I sit in with the young women on Sunday. I sit in with the young men. I go to Sunday school. I go to elders forum. The only thing I don't do, do is go to relief study unless they invite me. And so far that hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But I go and yeah, everything. I try to visit all the different parts of that ward as I'm there over the Sundays and just make myself really a part of that ward. And I think that's so valuable to building that relationship. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, Dave, so the last question I have is, as you consider your time serving as a high counselor, uh, how has leading as a high counselor made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? For me, being a disciple, the word disciple just means someone who is a learner. And being on the high council for the many years that I have, I'm always in a learning position. I'm learning from the other high counselors, no matter how senior or junior they are, right? We all learn from each other's really great brotherhood in the high council. And I love that experience. I'm always learning from the people I serve with. It makes me a better disciple because it motivates me to be humble and to just be the best servant I can be to all the runs around me, all the people around me. And that's the Savior's example. And I hope to follow that in some way. Today, I am in Meridian, Idaho. That's what this place is. I'm I'm close to Boise, that's for sure, with Jeff Ehlers. How are you, Jeff? Good, Kurt. How are you doing today? Very good. Now, uh, Jeff, we've interacted before. I'm sure everybody remembers your (laughs) your famous presentation you you did on, uh, we did a Facebook Live at least a couple of years ago about uh, social media missionary work, right? Yep. And uh, we are just coming out. I use that term with a lot of hope. We're coming out of this pandemic. And so, but you, you implemented some of these, uh, some of those uh, tactics now that you're serving on the, the stake high council, right? Yeah, we did. And put those into practice statewide. So up here in Idaho, we had a, initially a 21-day stay-home order. And so we decided to do 21 days of digital missionary work. So I was grateful I was able to use those resources and share that with the stake. Mm-hmm. To do 21 days, every day we posted a new idea, something different they could do. And it was great. Mm-hmm. We also involved, there's a lot of uh, missionaries that came home for their intermission, they right. call them, in between uh-huh. mission assignments. And we used them because they were a tremendous resource. These young, hungry missionary, return missionaries yeah, wanted to get involved. Still in that mindset, right? Still in that mindset, still have that, you know, recently returned missionary like Glow. And they were great resources. We um, had them record videos just from their home. And they were really inspirational to tell the members about how they could be digital missionaries right now during the pandemic. Wow. That's great. And the nice thing is you had it, you know, you had you had the resources together so you could just jump into it, right? You didn't have to invent as you as you went. Yeah, I, we were already ready to go. Um, the governor's order was issued for, he announced it on a Wednesday and I think it came into place Thursday, but Thursday we were ready to go. We had it all ready to roll out. We were nice. already prepared. Nice. Well, I'll definitely link to that video. I have it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it might even be on Facebook still, but we'll put it in the show notes so if people want to Jump into that, uh, sure. if you can. But uh, thank you. Yeah, I think at this day and age, it's even more necessary. Yeah, to be a digital missionary, just the way the world kind of is, and might be for the next little while. Yeah, cool. 
now you're serving on the state high council. Maybe just put you yourself in, in general in, in context. Uh, where are you from? What do you do? All that stuff. Sure. Okay. So I grew up in eastern Idaho, a small little town, Shelley. So oh, go nice. russets for all you russets. You have the weirdest looking high school. It looks like a potato cellar. Yeah. yeah. And I think they meant to do that, right? I think they did. It yeah. So strange. We're uh, very proud of our My, my wife has uh, cousins that go there. So okay. That grew up in Shelley. So I've been to the the a soccer game or two at the at that high school. So <laughs> Yep. Yeah, we could go off about potatoes for a while, but <laughs> we'll spare the audience. Nice. Yeah, so sort of full-time mission to Philadelphia. Loved it. Have two degrees from BYU Provo and then an MBA from the University of Utah. Wow. Did you get those degrees like at the same time? Uh, simultaneously at BYU oh, wow. and then uh, went back for an MBA a couple years later at the awesome. U. Yeah. And what are the, the degrees in? Accounting from BYU and Master's of Accounting and then Master's of Business wow. from the U. Yeah. Look at that. So, Smarty pants. <laughs> I guess maybe. But that's led you so, into a life of business, right? Yeah. Entrepreneurship. So, uh-huh. Started four companies. Two of them went well. Two of them were good learning experiences, <laughs> as they say in the entrepreneur uh-huh. world. And uh, then I'm also doing some full-time CFO work nice. for a medical device company. Cool. Yeah. And I know one a project worked on just mobile oil change company, right? Yeah. In, uh-huh. in the Boise area? or is Yeah, Treasure we're Valley? Ser- servicing Treasure Valley, mm-hmm. um, Zoom Mobile Oil Change. My dad and I have gotten involved in that. And uh, that's been going well too. Yeah. So, so if you need an oil change in Treasure Valley, <laughs> you know they'll they'll come. They basically come to your house and just do it all, huh? We do everything you can do at a lube shop. Well, that's awesome. So, that's yeah. cool. So, how long you've been? About a year on the High Council. Yeah, just over a year ago, okay. um, got called. A- anything uh, worth noting about that call, or or even that transition into that calling that was maybe more difficult, or things that helped? Yeah, it's. Um, so it was uh, one of the challenges was uh, my wife was nine months pregnant when mm-hmm. we got the call and almost like two weeks after we had um, our fourth child. And so that was a little different. It was good. We have a lot of seasoned veterans on the high council, which are great to learn from. I think it was a little surprised that none of, you know, no one had had a baby <laughs> recently yeah. on the high council. So that was a little different, but everybody was really receptive. It was my first stake calling mm-hmm. um, and that's been a transition. That's been something different. I've had ward callings before, but yeah. not state callings. Was there anything particular that, that made it feel different? It feels like a little like you're like a degree removed from the front lines mm-hmm. of what you're doing. Um, I had been the young men's president before, which that's a little dated calling now, I guess that doesn't yeah. exist. <laughs> but there you have so much interaction with the youth and you know the one-on-one and um, just ministering to the one. You have a lot of that. And I've noticed at a stake level, you still can have do personal ministry. Mm-hmm. Certainly that's part of it. But I feel like you're removed from that, the front lines. Mm-hmm. It's more like, in my opinion, you're training the adult leaders and then they're the ones going out to the wards and having those interactions and you know ministering to their members and to their youth. And so that's been an adjustment, something a little different. Yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah. I remember it's almost like uh, I you brand this and like this, the state calling trap, because I remember <laughs> going from being a bishop to the member of the state presidency and you sort of still hope for and desire those one-on-one personal ministry experiences. Like you said, they're there, but it's generally not to the general membership. It's maybe mm-hmm. to a leader or, um, you know, a bishopric or, or something like that. And so you just have to make that shift that like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be engaged as much with uh, the general membership, but with with leaders, yeah, there's a lot of ministry opportunities, you know. Yeah, it's just having that right mindset and knowing you can still have a personal influence. Certainly, it will just be a different direction. Mm-hmm. You can influence many people 
for good through the stake, but it might actually be through the ministering and training that you do to some elders quorum president or a bishopric. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they take that and they're more effective in their callings. And yeah. that's how you can sort of have an indirect personal influence for good. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, that you felt you were you were younger compared to maybe some of the other high councilmen. Mm-hmm. And again, what do we call this? High council member of the high council, high counselor, high, high counselor, I think. Anyways, yeah. People know what we're talking about. But um, <laughs> it, was there any awkward dynamic there as far feeling I'm the young one, maybe I, I shouldn't speak up as much, or did you push through that, or was there ever that feeling? If it was, it was from me, not from anybody else. Uh-huh. Like everybody was very uh, gracious and generous. Maybe it was just my own like uh, self-awareness and insecurities, but I, I pushed through those. I felt like, and I do this with any calling, like if I'm going to be there, then I'm going to participate and give it my best. And so that's what I wanted to do. On the flip side, you know, as being the youngest and sort of a rookie in a state calling, there's so much to learn from these other experienced high counselors in the state presidency. So many of them have been bishops and have had just really good um, leadership experience and opportunities that I can learn from. Mm-hmm. So I actually felt like it's a blessing to serve as one of the younger members, or I think I am the youngest member on the High Council, because I can learn so much from so many people that have collected wisdom from experience over these years. Yeah. yeah. And is there, um, is it mainly just associating with them or do you have a certain way of, I mean, to ask questions during meetings or do you pull them aside or? Yeah, I think some of it is just um, pulling them aside afterwards and talking their, you know, picking their brain and uh-huh. figuring out things from them um, or just the experiences they share during council meetings and, you know, different ways of thinking about things that maybe I hadn't experienced before and thought of. I really value that. Yeah. What about your responsibilities? What specific responsibilities do you have right now on the High Council? Yeah. So they've sort of morphed and changed over the first year. I think State Presidency was trying to figure out what to do with me. Uh (laughs) I don't know, but they kept changing. And so now it's settled down and I feel really blessed to serve with the young women. We have a great State Young Women's Presidency and I love the youth. I've loved serving as, you know, award young men's president and other youth callings. And so I'm thrilled and excited to be serving with uh, the young women. Okay. In the but you're stake. not the stake young men's president. No, role, that's a right? different high counselor. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, I get to be an advisor to the young women, nice. which is awesome. And then um, I also have a responsibility for stake social media, which has been great. That's another one of my passion that aligns yeah. really well with things I like to do. And then um, I have some other uh, opportunities to serve with the um, Spanish branch hmm. here in our area. And there's some outreach and initiatives that we're doing as well. And is the Spanish branch part of your, your stake? Or? Uh, there's several stakes that feed into it. It's not, we're not the home stake for it, um, but there's multiple stakes around here that, that feed into it. Interesting. So how does that dynamic work with you're just checking in? Obviously, you're not worried, you know, your stake doesn't provide the the bishop from, or there they may, it's sort of like a, a singles ward, maybe? Like yeah. They, they pull from different stakes to, to form the branch presidency, mm-hmm. right? Yep. We have several people that live within our stake boundaries that attend there. Mm-hmm. And part of it is just giving them the support that they need. A lot of it is actually uh, missionary-based and missionary opportunities to um, for the Spanish speakers in our area and to work with, because home wards have a lot of return missionary Spanish speakers, sometimes native Spanish speakers. Mm -hmm. And so 
connecting them with missionary opportunities and using the resources of the wards and the stakes here to help missionary work to Spanish speakers. Oh, nice. Because I would imagine there's some even native Spanish speakers who attend an English ward, Mm -hmm. but they still want maybe some level of connection and they could serve in a very helpful way if they maintain connection with the Spanish branch. Yeah, absolutely. Before this whole pandemic hit, we had some other, other initiatives outlined that I think we're going to pick up again. But the self-reliance classes that the church is doing is another one, putting those in Spanish mm-hmm. and having enough people attend those groups to make them really positive experience for everyone. Yeah. So they just need some more resources of Spanish speakers yeah. to do that. Yeah. So I'm going to dig into that a little bit, especially with self-reliance. I think, you know, we're in a place where most people are familiar with it. They've implemented it to some degree, maybe some stakes it's gone really well, others maybe not so well. But, you know, especially with your, I appreciate your entrepreneurial background because you sort of have figured out how to piece things together. And, and sometimes it's messy, right? Yeah. You just know, okay, we'll get through this. We'll keep figuring out any approach or system or thing, something that's helped in with the self-reliance program and putting it together. Okay. Well, to your it's comment on that. I'm sorry. We're supposed to call it an initiative. I think Go initiative. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Not a program. Actually, the first thing that comes to my mind is this concept from entrepreneurship, which is called living your life in beta. I borrowed it from uh, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, who wrote a really cool book called The Startup of You. If that's a total side tangent on I entrepreneurship. Love it. But <laughs> it's great. So one of his mindsets, he says, is when you do a beta product and software, you're releasing it with bugs in it and you know it's imperfect, but you've got to test it. And the only way to test it is to just put it out there and release it into the world and get feedback and then refine it and improve it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that mindset is helpful Um, And anything you're doing in life is to live your life in beta where you recognize yourself as an unfinished product, but you're going to put yourself out there anyways. And it might be a little uncomfortable, and um, but you're going to get refinement and feedback and be able to improve yourself and get better and better just like they do when they release beta versions of software. So in terms of self-reliance, I feel like that's kind of the concept and the approach is, look, we're going to release it out there in beta. We know it's not perfect, but it's better than waiting around, you know, trying to make this a perfect thing with no problems. Yeah, so. yeah I love that. And, and and that can be applied to really any calling because you sort of, you get in these meetings, you know, and you have this idea or, uh, you know, even with a say girls camp or something mm-hmm. where you're like, you're trying to piece it all together just perfectly. And then it's going to happen, right? You're going to mm-hmm. release it. You're going to move forward. And sometimes, and I experienced this a lot with people approach me about starting a podcast and they're like, I'm okay. I've got these ideas and I've been planning and it's been eight months. I'm like, eight months. Yeah. I want you to record something this afternoon and release it and see what people, you know, how people respond. Right. And it's the same with uh, church leadership. You're just sort of maybe hesitant to release it because you don't want this to waste money or waste people's time or whatever. But again, you just simplify and release and then regroup. Right. Yep. Yeah. And you learn so much more from it than just like sitting in the building with ideas in your own mind. You learn so much more once you put it out there. And if you can just be a little bit brave and do that (laughs) and be okay with a little bit of uncomfortableness, then yeah, you learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the phrase, I think uh, Tim Ferriss talks about, if this was simple, what would it look like? I often Mm. go through it in my mind, like, how can we simplify this just so we can get it released and then get some data that we can bring back? Mm -hmm. So yeah. What about being the advisor with the the young women's presidency? That. I mean, especially on the high council level. And and then with, you know, you're advising a stake presidency, uh, mm-hmm. the, the young women's presidency that 
you know, doesn't have is, is again, they're released a degree or two from the front lines as well. Right. And so it can feel more bureaucratic than maybe it should, but any tips on what's really worked with advising the, the young women's presidency of the stake? Yeah. Good question. So first of all, in my situation, I feel very blessed to have a great presidency to work with and we have a good working dynamic, which I really appreciate just the personal relationships and we work really well together, which I appreciate. And it's, I think one of the things I've learned is to be respectful their position and their right to revelation in their own respective callings. Mm -hmm. Because I came from, you know, having callings where like you're the president or, you know, you're the one in charge. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is different because I'm an advisor now. So I'm not like the final decision maker. I I give advice and counsel, Uh which is great. And so I think that's been something to learn to shift the role from you're the one wearing the president hat to you're the one wearing the advisor hat. Mm -hmm. And both can play valuable roles. That's one of the first things. And that's even more tough because it's not like you've been a young women's president before (laughs) and and can give that perspective, right? But I would imagine a lot of it's like advising from the stake perspective and sort of being an an advocate between them and the stake presidency at times, you know, and really, you know, going to battle for their ideas or perspectives and helping them carry out some of their vision that they've established. Yeah, having their back and being supportive of them, I think is really key and really critical. You know, they start looking at me as like a fifth member of their presidency. That's not doctrine or handbook (laughs) or whatever, right? But it's good to have that sort of like relationship where they feel comfortable. I think something else that happened was, well, I'll share a story of why I got here to do this. So a few years back, I was a counselor to a bishop. And one of the lessons I learned from him was he would exercise and run and he would run marathons and stay in really great shape. And one day we got talking and he said, you know, the reason I do this is so I can always keep up with the youth. And so I can always be in shape and do their activities that they're doing and be with them. And I get that may not work for everybody, but that was something to me that was like, I can do that too. So he's inspired me to, uh, when I'm with the youth, to feel like I'm going to do what the youth are going to do. I'm going to be in there with them. Like, I'm not going to just sit back in the sidelines and kind of observe or chat with the other adults. I'm going to get in there and do their activities. Mm -hmm. And that to me has been really helpful in this calling where you feel a degree removed to get in there. And when they go sledding, we go sledding. Like I'm on the hill getting snow on my face and all that. Or at girls camp, like, you know, I'm at the lifeguard and I'm jumping in and like, you know, you're just getting involved and doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that I think helps helps with the, as an advisor, it helps show the state young woman's presidency. Like I'm with you, I'm here, like we're going to do this. And I think it also shows the youth, like I care, like, and I'm just a regular guy that's just out here trying to live life like you too, you know? Yeah. And there's so many nuances when, when you get in that mindset and and jump in that there's connection that's made, you know, they, they trust you as their, their advisor a little bit more, you know, they know you personally mm-hmm. a little bit more. And, and so it just helps all around to just be involved and not just stand on the sidelines. Right? Yeah. It's good. It's good. Like real-time feedback, I guess, or real-time understanding about who you're serving, you know, getting to know the people that you serve with, I think is really helpful. Yeah. You know, to that degree, I also step back sometimes and at a, like a meta level kind of, like do just readings around like understanding the youth more and understanding like not just members of the church, but, you know, youth in general in the United States, like surveys about them or articles about them or things like that that give like kind of higher level insights 
maybe not necessarily universally true, but some really good insights. That's been actually helpful too. Yeah, that's awesome. You put down this principle as far as uh, being a representative on the high council. It, it, that there's that dynamic, and then also being the how do you put the a delegate? A delegate. That's yeah. right. <laughs> So that goes back to, um, so I also am involved in politics a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in political science, there's like two different theories or two different philosophies. One, when you get elected to an office, are you the representative of the people or are you a delegate from the people? And the way I distinguish it is a representative is you represent the will of the people and you do what the people want you to do. You do their will and you just follow it. A delegate is one where it's like the people elected you, they trust you to sort of think on your own and you're sort of more of an agent and you can go there and make decisions and it may not necessarily align with the will of the people, but they trust you. So that's sort of how like a framework I view some things as a delegate versus representative. In the stake, I've noticed that in this calling as a high counselor, there's some things where I'm a representative of the stake presidency, and there's some, some things that I'm more of a delegate. Let me give some examples yeah. and that might clear it up. Yeah, that's helpful. As a representative, um, one of the things that comes to mind is, and I think it's even in the handbook, it talks about ordinations to the Melchizedek priesthood. And it says the high counselor can represent the stake presidency, and that's pretty well laid out. Like these certain things need to be done in this order, in this way, with these words, and you're representing the stake presidency, and they would be there and do it this same way if they could. But you're just you're representing them. And so I've and then as a delegate, one of the things I found was like being a social media specialist. They the stake presidency gave that assignment and they just really wanted to delegate it to me. Like you have more leeway and latitude and go figure it out. Yeah, and you obviously, you know more about this realm than they do, right? Sure. Some of them weren't, aren't even on social media really, which yeah. that's fine. I get, I can respect that, but they're like, go do it. And so when I realized like, I don't need to take a representative approach because I tried that for a little bit with the social media, like I have to do their exactly what they want and I need all their permission to do it. That wasn't going very well when I realized this was a delegate opportunity mm -hmm. and I just took with it and ran with it and came with, up with ideas. That was great. So there are some things, you know, you're more of a representative, but there's other things yeah. that you're a delegate. Now, I really like that because from my experience on the state in the state presidency, I remember sort of this dynamic where whether it was, you know, whomever was reporting to us and, and they would come sort of like they wanted us, they wanted marching orders, mm -hmm. right? Uh, how do you want me to handle this? And maybe we give them some ideas, but then they kept coming back like, okay, I did that. Now what? Right. And we sort of wanted them just to, <laughs> they were stuck in that representative mode, right? Yeah. We wanted them to just run with it. Like, I don't know, like go figure it out. <laughs> we don't have time to process and think about these things. We need a delegate that, to run with it, right? And and it, I think it's so empowering when, you, when you're given an assignment or you look at your different roles on the high council and you think, okay, where am I a representative and when? And, and what about when am I a delegate, right? And mm -hmm. that's so freeing and liberating. And then it really helps the stake seed succeed altogether, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's That framework has really helped me uh, figure out how to approach this calling. I think it can help in other callings too, where there's some things you may need to do a little bit more representative, like they're spelled out, you know, there's authority and permission and things, but there's other things where it's like, you know, please just go be a delegate, like, yeah. and, you know, get inspiration and great things will happen. Yeah, awesome. Uh, another principle you talked about is innovation. Uh, obviously, is the entrepreneur mind. You're you're always considering better ways to do things, right? So, mm -hmm. how has innovation played a role in your in your calling? Yeah, I think it's important. I think there's, and to be clear, what I'm talking about innovation, I think 
certainly following the handbook and the guidelines of the general handbook. But when I read the handbook, I think there is so much room for innovation here. If you're an elders quorum president, yeah, read the handbook, but there's so much you could do that can be done differently that doesn't have to be done like the same traditional way that it's always been done. And that actually might reach new people and be refreshing. So one of the things, a real life example that I brought more innovation to, I think, is on our my other assignment for stake social media. We've had like scattered posts here and there, but I thought I worked for a digital marketing agency. And so that influenced this a little bit previously, but there's video is way more powerful on the social media than text. Like there's a lot of data that just shows like Mm -hmm. it's just more impactful and people are more engaged and interested in a video than just reading text. So I said, look, like it took some persuading (laughs) and a little arm twisting, but I asked asked the stake presidency to uh, record videos of themselves. And especially during the pandemic when we couldn't meet like in person, like it was a way still to relate and show you're a real person by recording a video and engaging with the stake members. And some of them aren't even on social media. Like This was way out of their comfort zone, but it was like just a new refreshing way to reach people. And so that's been going well. I think we may even continue. Don't tell them yet if you're listening, stake presidency, <laughs> but we may even continue some more of that and getting more people involved yeah. in just sharing videos, whether it's testimonies or just messages to members or things like that. That's yeah. gone really well. That's yeah. cool. And it's funny how some people respond to that, that they'll stand up in front of, you know, 600 people at state conference without an issue. But if it's just one-to-one and I'm holding a camera, it's like, this is completely uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And which so. is funny because, so I've been like into numbers and data and all that, but I was looking at the metrics of these videos and they're performing really well. They're really getting in front of like 600, 700 people. Wow. And if you think about the reach, it's like, when was the last time you spoke in front of 600 or 700 people? Yeah. You know, that's pretty rare. We've been doing some missionary videos too, as well with return missionaries and getting them in front of, you know, 500, 600, 700 people. Like it's just a really impactful reach. Yeah. And so uh, give us the crash course then as far as how did you approach your stake presidency and, and do this? Did you just do it in their office? You just brought your <laughs> phone and you recorded or? Well, the first one we did... My wife is like amateur photographer and has nice cameras. So we oh, came cool. and did a, a little more nicer one. But then all the quarantine restrictions hit and all that. So I just said, look, you're at home. I can't come film you. I just pull out your phone and send it to me. Yeah. So selfie style. Yeah. Selfie style. Some <laughs> of them had like their teenage kids, like help them out a little bit, which is good. And yeah. Yeah. And then once you get the video, you, you're able to post it and Mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. I can post it and yeah. Nice. So the the general principle with innovation is just looking for the spaces of innovative opportunity. You know, the handbook gives you lots of wiggle room, Mm -hmm. lots of ways to approach things. And a lot of times we read the handbook as if that's exactly the way we're supposed to do it. No more, no less. When in reality, that's just the standard or that that's just some, some policy that's been in place to protect us from one type of result. But, you know, you can go above and beyond a lot of what's in the handbook and, and see great results that bless a, a stake or ward. Right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, I'm not even advocating going against the handbook. I think you even right. read like what it says. And then you think this is the outcome we're going for. Like what are paths we can get there? And it's helpful to ask instead of saying, what should we do? When you're brainstorming, it's useful to ask, what could we do? Mm-hmm. So it's just a little nuance in language. But asking what could we do opens up your mind to think about a lot more possibilities as opposed to saying, well, what should we do? What are we supposed to do? 
like that kind of limits innovation. So just starting with your presidency or whoever you're serving with, say, what could we do? How could we achieve this? And that can open up like everybody's mind to new ideas and new ways yeah. of doing things. That's awesome. Anything else with innovation that we should mention? Just being okay with like our bishops really good at this, but like being okay with in a kind way questioning past traditions or why you did things mm. and if that's necessary and maybe you find out there's reasons for it there's not but yeah. just being okay to opening up that question that dialogue i think spurs more innovation yeah. too yeah because a lot sometimes a lot of those traditions they're innovative but then maybe that innovation sort of expired or run its course and it's not as energizing as it was maybe the first second third time mm-hmm. that the organization did that thing right true and also you may have new people that you're with. Yeah. You know, maybe your elders quorum, like half of them moved out or you got new people or like your youth group. Now all the 12 year olds are now 16. And so you have a different group. And so maybe something different will meet the needs of the people you're serving. Yeah. That's awesome. Anything. So with the social media stuff you do in the stake, is it primarily missionary focused or do you, you know, implement other things with it? Yeah. So I've started to expand and initially it was like missionary focused and got the return missionaries to share videos. And man, those were really good videos too Mm -hmm. with the missionary spirit still. But then I've started to think about, okay, how can we expand this reach and do something more or maybe better? And so just a couple of weeks ago, we got the stake primary president involved and said, let's speak to the primary children. Mm -hmm. You know, they're feeling alone at home and some of them. And so it's like, let's do that. Let's figure out ways to engage maybe the younger crowd so things like that. And then all of this contents, a lot of it's just going up like on this on a stake Facebook page or group that only mm-hmm. the stake members will see. Yeah. So we have a closed stake Facebook page. We have a closed stake youth Facebook page. And then we have matching Instagram accounts for both of those. Uh-huh. I've been really tempted to do like TikTok and Snapchat, but convince your stake president that one to, have to, to do it. Yeah. Dance channel. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that's where the youth are at these days. I mean, I read a study that says youth in America spend more of their waking hours on a screen than off a screen. Hmm. And so you can debate the merits of whether that's good or bad. But But it's the reality. The reality is that's what they're doing. So if you want to reach a youth, you're more likely to engage them through a screen than finding them offline. So I accept that and say, okay, let's find innovative ways to find them and meet them where they're at. Yeah, that's awesome. I need to do, maybe you can point me towards some TikTok experts in, in the <laughs> churches, because I think there's a lot to, I, even if a stake doesn't implement like a TikTok account, mm-hmm. I think it's good for youth leaders just to be aware of what TikTok is, how they're using it, because that is sort of the direction, you know, they went from, the youth went from Facebook to Instagram, and Instagram's still big, but now they're, there's a, a dynamic that TikTok brings to the table that uh, they're headed that way as well, right? Yeah. So I think it's it'd be good for youth leaders just to understand what it is. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, go ask your 16-year-old, yeah. you know, that you well, serve I mean, what with. A, And like, that would maybe be a great yeah. activity for uh, youth leaders to do is say, all right, Wednesday, you're going to teach all the youth leaders how TikTok works. Yeah. Right? And uh, let's go. You know, if I need to do a dance or something in the gym, <laughs> I'll be ready, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And there's so many unique, uh, even with gospel-related things that people are doing on TikTok that are, that are fascinating. So so as you reflect on your time serving as a stake high counselor, as a leader in your stake, how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? Part of it, I think, is I'll share something that's like a little more 
personal, but like really impactful in terms of like my relationship with the Savior. So as a high counselor, you get the opportunity to sit on what was formerly called disciplinary councils. Um, I think they're now called member councils. And those can be sobering. They're serious experiences, certainly. One of the biggest surprises I had after going through some of those was how much mercy and grace I felt from the Savior during those experiences. It had a tremendous impact on me. Like, I mean, I wasn't even the one, you know, in the chair on the, on, you know, putting on, on counsel, but just brought me closer to the Savior, caused me to feel a desire to repent just because I knew how merciful the Lord was and how it just really strengthened my testimony of how much grace that He has and how He gives us that grace. And it just, I was so surprised by it because I thought, you know, this membership council, this disciplinary council was going to be like a bad negative experience, but wow, it like, and maybe not everybody has that experience, but to me, it really just drew me closer to the Savior and helped me personally feel his mercy and his grace and his love. And I was actually grateful for that experience and that opportunity. That concludes these two interviews with Dave Lefevre and Jeff Ehlers. Appreciate them taking the time to share their perspective and knowledge with the rest of us. We probably need to do more interviews with high councilmen, right? High counselors. And uh, basically see what more we can learn for those that are out there in this calling. Because from my experience, I've never been on a high council, but I've worked with a lot of high, high counselors. And sometimes it can be a calling that's easy to hide, right? You're you flounder. You're not sure what to do or how to engage or... Sometimes your responsibilities aren't as uh, demanding as others. And so I think it would be great to hear from other high counselors that have served in these capacities. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, send me a message, info, you know, who it is, where they're at, how to contact them, maybe give them a heads up beforehand, see if they'd be willing so that it's not up to me to convince them. (laughs) Anyways, it'd be great to have that information and expand our library of the How I Lead segments with the calling of High Counselor. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the Core Leader community today. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.